Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Most men get impatient with too much debating and analyzing and risk aversion. They just want to do it. This comes out in our walk with the Lord. Jesus, just show me what to do so I can do it. Give me the mountain to be taken and it'll be done by tomorrow. Well, this podcast can't promise to make life that simple, but we are committed to helping you have a concrete picture of what your mission from Jesus is. Today, we look at our calling as agents of reconciliation, a phrase used by Paul and described by Jesus in the last two Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, those devoted to restoring relationships broken by sin, and those who, in the process of restoring rightness, suffer because of taking a stand for such righteousness. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 14 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Understanding our call to be peacemakers requires realizing that relationships form the building blocks for human flourishing. God designed humans to need harmony in four foundational relationships of life. His relationship with God, with self, with others, and with the rest of creation. In fact, harmony in these four relationships is what is meant by the biblical term for peace, shalom. Shalom and the Greek word for peace, arene, mean more in the New Testament than just a cessation of hostilities. They refer to total well-being, both personally and in community. That's from the ESV study notes. Of course, peacemaking is necessary because our race's rebellion against God shattered this shalom, the relational well-being of the entire universe. The unity and peace God had woven into this world, shalom, began to unravel the moment Adam and Eve sinned. Steve Corbett and Brian Fickett explain the devastating effects of the fall on all of humanity's relationships. They write, Their relationship with God was damaged as their intimacy with Him was replaced with fear. Their relationship with self was marred as Adam and Eve developed a sense of shame. Their relationship with others was broken as Adam quickly blamed Eve for their sin. And their relationship with the rest of creation became distorted as God cursed the grounds. The shalom of creation was shattered by sin. But the Prince of Peace has come to fix all four broken relationships and reweave shalom. Paul said it this way, All this is from God, who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Notice that Paul does not just say God was reconciling individual Christians to himself, but reconciling the world to himself. Jesus has come to restore all four broken relationships. This work of restoration, the reweaving of shalom, is the spread of his kingdom of righteousness, rightness over the planet. 
This ministry of reconciliation is the work of peacemaking, which Jesus referred to in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The gospel work of restoring the life God intended for humans to experience in all four relationships broken by the fall is described by author Hugh Welshel. He writes, when these relationships are functioning properly, we experience the fullness of life God intended. Shalom. We are originally created to have peace with God. From this perfectly intimate relationship with God and a heart focus on our Creator would flow the peace in our hearts that we long for and the peace with others we struggle to find. Sin shattered this peace. When we live out the original purpose of these relationships, people are able to fulfill their callings to love their neighbor and glorify God through the work they do in their churches, families, communities, and vocations. Let's consider some practical examples of peacemaking in all four of these categories of relationship. First and foremost, peace with God. Being a peacemaker begins with faithfulness to pray for and seize the opportunities to lead others to faith in Christ. Paul points out the most obvious way to be an agent of reconciliation. In Christ, God was entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Few Christian men I know, including myself, are satisfied with the level of our commitment to sharing our faith. For this reason, one of the accountability questions on the Check 6 card that our ministry uses is, who are the non-believers you are building relationships with, and how can I pray for your strategy to share Christ with them? I have discovered firsthand that God loves to answer such prayers. Last fall, I was praying for an opportunity to deepen my friendship with our next-door neighbor. I knew men build relationships by doing stuff together, but he doesn't like football, which means he's really lost, so I couldn't bring him to the high school games my son was coaching. While I was praying and wrestling with this, I returned home from a weekend away and discovered that a major branch from one of my front yard trees had fallen toward my neighbor's yard. I was barely out of the car before Joe was over at my house offering to help me clean it up with his power pole saw. You have to be careful what you pray for. Over the last 18 months, I've also watched one of my Czech Six brothers set out to love well, a Spanish-speaking relative who had married into the family. My friend has completed over 365 days, I believe, of Duolingo Spanish himself to better reach this relative. And last week, Bob rode along with his relative in the truck his relative drives for work and appealed to him while they were driving to get right with the Lord because his young son needs his father to be the spiritual leader. God is not calling us to be Billy Graham just to look at the circle of our relationships and ask God, who should I be praying for opportunities to share him with more intentionally? Those relationships aren't there by accident. So peacemakers are committed to helping others find peace with God. Well, there's also peace with others, and that means taking the initiative to restore broken relationships. 
Being a biblical peacemaker does not mean peace at any price, appeasement, or fearing confrontation. Nothing could be further from the truth. Biblically, I am responsible for restoring broken relationships, both when I've offended another and when the other has offended me, and that takes guts. Jesus taught, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I happen to be someone who takes this verse literally. Many years ago, while serving as a church planter, one of our ruling elders was leading the pastoral prayer. Rick had a way of drawing me into the throne of God in his prayer. I was getting ready to stand up and preach, and I always viewed my sermon as an offering to God for him to use as he chose. I started to review this verse. If while you are offering your gift at the altar, you remember that you wounded the tender heart of your four-year-old daughter by yelling at her on the way into church, go, ask forgiveness of your daughter, then come and offer your gift. So I got up in the middle of Rick's prayer, tracked Karen down, confessed my harsh, hurtful, unfair words, and asked, will you forgive me? I'm not sure there is a more precious peacemaking principle to me than this one, because it preserves a father's relationship with his kids, and I suspect actually builds respect for him. Well, Jesus also made it our responsibility to go to the one who has wronged us instead of talking to others about that offense behind the offender's back. Most offenses we need to overlook, exercising patience and granting forgiveness in a spirit of mercy, as we saw last week. But sometimes this text applies from Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So Christ followers fix broken relationships. A third category of peacemaking might be called peace with self, that is restoration to inner wholeness. Compassionate restoration has always been the mark of Christ followers for those whose self-esteem has been shattered because they have been used by others. For example, Megan Kane ran away from home at 14. By 15, she was a mother. By 19, she was a stripper, prostitute, and addict. Eventually, she was downing a cocktail of prescription stimulants and caffeine, followed by a bowl of crystal meth just to get out of bed in the morning. Her appetite disappeared. I was completely empty, she recalled. Nothing left inside of me. Within a few years, she faced felony drug possession charges. The prospect of serious jail time and losing custody of her daughter, Taylor, was the wake-up call Megan needed. That's when she heard about the Way Out recovery program. This Christian ministry has been rescuing women like Megan from Memphis's prostitution and drug culture since 1992. The outpatient program consists of 16 classes that help the women deal with sexual and drug addiction, depression, and living within boundaries. These women's spirits are broken and their souls are damaged 
and they need time to heal, said the director, Carol Wiley. So A Way Out offers that time by providing clothing, counseling, financial assistance, job training, and a Bible. Almost none of the women returned to the sex industry after completing the program. Megan graduated in 18 months. With new life in her blue eyes and a newfound ambition in her heart, Megan began to study nursing at the University of Memphis. The important thing, she said, was where she was going, not where she's been. Her new ambitions are to become a medical missionary and help refugees. Sign me up for a hut, she said with a smile. Peace within ourselves, the ministry of peacemakers. The fourth category of peacemaking has to do with our call to develop creation. Vocation is the calling to develop the earth's resources. Christians have often been peacemakers in the workplace and marketplace. In the 1970s, for example, the U.S. steel industry was facing enormous competition from Japan. This financial pressure caused enormous hostility between management and labor. For Pitron Steel, a small foundry in western Pennsylvania, this meant for labor a workplace of poor conditions, labor unrest, and racial hatred. For management, it was a place of broken promises and a three-year loss of $6 million. For 84 days, the union had been on strike. Committed Christian Wayne Alderson, one of the few members of management who remained, looked over the freezing men warming themselves by the oil barrel fires on the picket line. He recounts, I thought of all that the families of these striking men who were receiving no paycheck were going through and what we as the company were going through. It was so unnecessary, so useless. Yet I also understood that the strikers were not wrong. If I were a union man under these conditions, I would have closed the plant down. I would have struck. Alderson was suddenly named the vice president of operations. Knowing the truth about Pitron's financial condition, he took the initiative to meet unofficially with the union committee head, Sam Piccolo. He persuaded the union leaders to trust a new management approach that Alderson would lead, called eventually the value of the person. On January 20th, the workers returned to work. Alderson began to spend time down on the floor of the foundry with the laborers, shaking hands, finding out about their families, something the laborers had never seen before from management. He started a Bible study in a storeroom that was dirty enough to use because it brought white-shirted management together with the grubby laborers. For the first nine months of this approach, not a single grievance was filed, and there was a 26% increase in productivity. Alderson's successful value-of-the-person management approach turned Pitron around and spread to other companies. He summarizes this approach, love dignity, respect. Three simple words can transform a culture, a way of life, a continuous journey of individual and organizational change. Restoring harmony between labor and management, an awesome picture of being a peacemaker. Well, no one hearing this podcast needs to start a ministry to those in the sex trade or stop a union strike to hear well done for being a peacemaker. But it might be worth taking a few minutes to think about what small thing God might be calling you to do 
to restore broken relationships around you that are not thriving. Well, the last beatitude we look at is, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.10 Let's make a few observations. First, let's not over-apply persecution. Every night, eight Christians are killed worldwide for their faith in Christ. I doubt that any American in this country, no matter how ridiculed he is for his convictions or faith, is suffering the real persecution that many Christians in the world are. Consider, for example, North Korea. Being discovered as a Christian is a death sentence in North Korea. If not killed instantly, you'll be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. These inhumane prisons have horrific conditions, and few believers make it out alive. Everyone in your family will share the same punishment. Or Afghanistan. If a Christian's family discovers they have converted, their family, clan, or tribe has to save its honor by disowning the believer or even killing them. Christians from a Muslim background can also be sectioned in a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a sign of insanity. Or consider Nigeria. More Christians are murdered for their faith in Nigeria than in any other country. Violent attacks by Boko Haram, House of Fulani Muslim militant herdsmen, and other Islamic extremist groups are common in the north and middle belt of the country and becoming more common further south. These statistics from the Gospel Coalition. Second observation is that it is worth noting that the eighth beatitude comes last, after Jesus lays out seven other godly attitudes that should be reigning in our hearts. Many times, Christians think that non-believers are antagonistic toward them because they are Christ followers, when in fact the hostility comes because of attitudes like pride, judgmentalism, and hard-heartedness. By the time Jesus gets to the eighth beatitude, we know that our heart attitude toward the lost must first never be self-righteous but full of grace toward others, and then be full of grief over our own sin and the way that we are all broken. And then it must exhibit spirit-controlled speech that speaks wisely to bring spiritual health, not rashly like the thrusts of a sword. And then that it be driven by genuine love and care for another, a pure heart. And finally, be full of mercy for those in pain, even when it results from their bad choices. So we need to make sure we're suffering for righteousness' sake and not for our own bad attitudes. Third, the persecution that Jesus mentioned isn't necessarily caused just by identifying with him. It comes from standing for the cause of righteousness. Martin Luther King Jr., though imperfect as a believer, was jailed and murdered because of his stand for righteousness. On April 10, 1963, a state judge granted city officials an unjust injunction banning all anti-segregation protests in the city of Birmingham. King defied the injunction, later penning his letter from Birmingham jail explaining his decision. 
He writes this to other Christian brothers. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. The answer is found in the fact that there are two types of laws. There are just laws and there are unjust laws. How does one determine when a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with that moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality, he means basically our self-image, is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality, that is the self-image. To bring the matter of standing for righteousness into the present, many U.S. believers are wrestling with what to do about the encroachment of radical gender identity ideology into our medical schools, resulting in affirmation being the correct treatment for a girl who thinks she is a boy, educational institutions, and the sports world, to name only a few. In 2018, at West Point High School in Virginia, French teacher Peter Vlaming, noticing a transgender student about to accidentally run into a wall, told others to stop her When discussing this incident with administrators later, Vlaming made it clear that his Christian convictions prevented him from using male pronouns to refer to a biological girl. He later said, by way of compromise, that he was willing to use the student's name and avoid any use of pronouns, but he was fired for his insubordination. This is a tough issue. Many Christians, though willing to call a trans person by her preferred name, are taking a stand against saying that a girl is a boy, or a boy is a girl. The fourth observation about this eighth beatitude is that it is about making a stand for truth more important than being liked. In Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I love the Phillips translation, How miserable for you when everybody says nice things about you, for that is exactly how their fathers treated the false prophets. Standing for truth can be costly. In the fourth century, a Christian monk named Telemachus believed God was leading him to visit Rome. When he arrived, the stream of humanity in the streets led him to the Colosseum, where the gladiator contests were to be staged. The crowd would cheer men who, for no reason other than amusement, would fight until one of them died. Horrified as he realized what was about to happen, Telemachus leapt up to the perimeter wall and cried out, In the name of Christ, stop! But no one could even hear him. So Telemachus patted down the stone steps and leapt onto the sandy floor of the arena. He made a comic sight, a scrawny man in a monk's habit, dashing back and forth between muscular men, crying, In the name of Christ, stop! One gladiator kindly pushed him aside with his shield, pointing him back up to the stands. But Telemachus refused to be stopped. He rushed into the way of those trying to fight each other and cried again, In the name of Christ, stop! 
The crowd began to chant, run him through, run him through. With a slash of steel, one of the gladiators slashed across Telemachus' chest and heart. One final time, Telemachus gasped, in the name of Christ, stop. Then a strange thing happened. As the two gladiators and crowd focused on the still form on the suddenly crimson sand, a hushed silence fell over the crowd. In silence, the stadium began to empty. Chuck Colson tells us, There were other forces at work, of course, but that innocent figure lying in a pool of blood crystallized the opposition, and that was the last gladiatorial contest in the Roman Colosseum. Never again did men kill each other for the crowd's entertainment in the Roman arena. To summarize this episode, the biblical concept of peace means much more than just the absence of war. It refers to the flourishing that takes place when humans experience harmony in the four building block relationships of life. Our relationship to God, to ourselves in terms of our dignity and self-image, to others, and to creation. The discipleship call to peacemaking is the call to help bring restoration to broken relationships in all four categories. Such peacemaking always begins with radical commitment to helping others experience peace with God through the Gospels. One tip about that is that those opportunities follow closely our prayers for opportunities to help those in our relationship circle towards faith in Christ. Peacemaking also overlaps to some degree with mercy as we are moved with compassion for those whose very dignity is shattered by sin. Peacemaking is also required of believers in our personal relationships, both the willingness to ask forgiveness when we have offended and our willingness to either grant forgiveness for a wrong against us or pursue reconciliation. As we long for rightness, the fourth beatitude, and work for restoration to rightness, the seventh beatitude, we can expect opposition, the eighth beatitude. We need to be sure that such hostility from unbelievers is not generated by our own unchristlike attitudes, but then be more committed to standing for truth than to being liked. For further prayerful thought, number one, how is understanding our responsibility to be agents of reconciliation, peacemakers, enriched by understanding peace as shalom, the flourishing that results from harmony in all four foundational spheres of relationships with God, self, others, and creation? See your show notes for additional questions. This week's past series highlight is Anchoring Our Kids to Biblical Truth About Gender. That's Season 2, Episodes 22 through 26, from April 4th, 2021, to May 2nd, 2021. Next week, we begin a new April series worthy of our allegiance. Next week, observing that Jesus is a king with a heart for us. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about it as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.